0: Noah's just uh, outside this studio right now, setting up, uh, like he's soldering, he's wiring, he's unboxing our whole Linux Fest um, display, really. It's more more than a production this year. It's a bit of a display, really.
1: The, The FedEx guy is like, I got some packages, and he comes up with the first cartload. I'm like, okay, thanks. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I have a lot more. I'll be back. (laughs) So (laughs)
2: many more. So
0: we just stand there holding the dogs, and we're like, well, we can't let the dogs out, but this guy's taking like three trips back and forth. And now the- Fills up
1: the whole kitchen.
0: (laughs) The whole kitchen got full of boxes, and now the living room's full of boxes. We got gear everywhere. But I don't know. I kind of think this year, more so than any year, the booth itself could be an exhibit. Oh, yeah. Like really high-end Linux production equipment. Like the highest-end stuff we've ever done. Noah did some last-minute flying around to secure a- really high-end production digital mixer for us. That's why you're soldering wires because it turns out when you go into a certain category of hardware, they don't, like, just make average consumer connections anymore. Right. You've got to, like, custom build everything.
1: Yeah, if you look at an XLR cable, you figure there's three conductors. They're, you know, th- you know the wire's that big, right? And we put this big old honkin' connector on it. Why? In, in, in a, you know, in a live, you know, in a live environment where you're unplugging and plugging things in, you need that flexibility. But in a studio environment, you're really you're putting the microphone in and it's gonna stay there for 15 years. Yeah. And so we're gonna wire put in. our cables in so that we can <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unplug them, unplug them, <laughs> and be beautiful. Linux Fest. <laughs> and then we're
0: gonna move it to Linux Fest. We're gonna have a heck of a show. So all right, Bear, you come back in later on the show and you chat with us as yeah. we talk about more of what we're doing. But you go out there and keep unboxing. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 246 for April 24th, 2018. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your wiggly Linux talk show that's flying a little blind this week, a little raw, and there's a lot of plasma all around me. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. It has been a reinstall fest, Mr. Wes. That almost almost looks beautiful around here. So fresh, so clean. You know, it's been really nice. It's been a lot of fun. We'll talk about our adventures in Kubuntu 18.04 coming up a little bit here in this here show, but we have so many other things to get into as well always we have ourselves some community news. We'll get through all of that in the beginning, including an open source modular router that's being crowdfunded, the Linux terminal coming to Chrome OS, the state of Thunderbolt in Fedora 28, a re-evaluation and an update on Ubuntu's beta milestones, and then very quietly recently, Microsoft disbanded the Windows division. There's no more Windows division at Microsoft anymore. Let that let that sink in for a second. They've been merged into a larger group that's responsible for just general consumer devices. The biggest empire inside Microsoft is gone. So we'll talk about what that could mean for their Linux future. Then I've got a couple of app picks for you. A great update on that big no memory leak and the fallout of the conversation and the discussion in the community that took place because of that memory leak and then after I talk about my new favorite backup program, we'll reveal the big changes we've been making in the studio, the, the new investment in Linux that we're making, and uh, discuss some Linux Fest Northwest plans coming ooh, up. Ooh, I'm excited! Which is just this weekend. Can you believe it? No, that's crazy.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be a big deal. But before we go any further, we've got to bring in our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Oh man, that was a thick introduction. I liked it. That was nice. So let's start with something that is really, 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 really potential for, has a lot of potential for fixing a big problem in the consumer market. One of the things that just drives me crazy is the state of routers, home routers, those cheap routers that people are buying from electronic stores or from Amazon or wherever, they throw them in. And then three years later, they never haven't given a second thought. They've been, uh, They've missed 16 updates. And they're just little vulnerability boxes that are waiting for some sort of attack, some sort of attack, uh, either just monitoring or some sort of DNS attack. They're just such a sad state. And they're really the early canary in the coal mine for Internet of Things. Oh, very much so. And we blew it. And, and we still haven't really solved it. And there's tons of good open source projects. We've talked about MonoWall. We've talked about PF Sense, But there hasn't been like this consumer-focused... All in one solution that us geeks could really wrap our head right, around. Anything else deploy. is like
2: a you know, a, a cloud managed service that, oh, totally. that manages the updates for you. And no that may work, it yeah. doesn't really fit. Our uh, feature—that's not—I I mean, Noah might prefer a cloud-connected
0: uh, he router. sure would, you know. Yeah, but absolutely. not me. No, no, not no way. For you. So there, this is this is left in a spot in the market for somebody to fulfill and enter Taurus Mox. I think I might be saying that right, but who really knows? It is a modular, open-source router that is currently being crowdfunded, and the goal of the campaign is to make a modular that has three individual components. This is where the modular part comes in. Depending on what you need, they want to give the user the ability to put together a custom router that fits your network's requirements. And they say it's probably the first router that's configurable and easy as a sandwich. You just choose the parts you actually want and you assemble it like you would a sandwich. To make it happen, there's five modules available, but really you could just focus on a couple of them. And they hired a uh, fancy voiceover guy to do it, so I'll have him do it instead of me.
3: Your perfect router can consist of these modules. Basic. Extension. Ethernet, and SFP. The basic module is powered by a passive-cooled Marvell Armada processor, has a micro SD card slot, USB 3, and a gigabit WAN port. With the Wi-Fi card alone, it can serve as a pocket-ready router, or you can connect it to your router, for example Omnia, as an access point. If you need faster wireless speed, just connect the extension module with a 5 GHz Wi-Fi card connected to the MPCI Express slot. Or, you can switch the Wi-Fi card with an SSD to make a NAS. Or, you can insert a SIM card to the slot, connect an LTE modem, and use this module as a backup connectivity solution. You can also connect the Ethernet module with four gigabit ports. Hoorah! Man, tell you what. That that is
0: the worst
4: voiceover (laughs) ever. (laughs) Got me all fired up. Yeah, (laughs) tourists.
0: You didn't uh, didn't make you want to buy, huh, Wimpy? They could have paid Popey to do that for twice as much and got better value. <laughs> <laughs> they might have been able to hire the Mycroft device and got a better value. I'm not sure. But uh, the idea is pretty neat. You know, you've got this router that has the different components depending on what you need. If you need lots of gigabit, can you even do it. And then they have software features. Like an open VPN server, an SSH Honeypot, parental controls. That kind of neat thing is the Honeypot is set up to be involved in a research project. So it like it is involved in a wider Honeypot um, collection metric thing. That's kind of neat. So Saturis Mox. Uh, neat idea. Um, I don't think they sold us though, did they? They didn't sell us. How's their funding? So their funding is. Their, this is their second round. They have. They've had success. So uh, they've. Uh, Wes, did you? Work, did you fund the last one? Because you got an email. No, I about think this. I just subscribed for updates. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So. So yeah. I was clearly interested in the past.
0: Yeah, it's a neat idea.
5: Does anybody know what are what chip they have from Marvel? Because from what I understand, Marvel's best chips are their mother. our mother less latest chips? And those are based on A72 Cortex arm, which are vulnerable by meltdown and stuff. (laughs) So, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I was already not buying much of their premise because I think it's duplication of efforts of Freedom Box. I want somebody to come in and make a device that looks good, that fits just the general consumer, but I believe that there's a project for that already. And if they could actually bring a consumer perspective to that project, I would be very glad to support it. Mm. But also the stuff that I'm hearing doesn't make it much better. And most of Marvell chips are Cortex-A72 and A53, which are both vulnerable.
0: It says here it's based on the Marvell Armada 3720, uh, with a 1.2 gigahertz dual core.
5: Yes, that's a Cortex A53. I'm just checking it right now, and that's vulnerable. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, good meltdown because fun. better security. Great, yeah. awesome.
0: Also, it'll be using Kernel 4.14 LTS, which is the same as OpenWRT 18.5, which it is based on. Uh, it's Czech Republic, uh, uh, chaotic says in the chat room is where they're from. So there you go. Uh, mm. You know, I like the idea. I actually like it. Not going to back it myself. Um, for me, I've sort of moved on to larger hardware for this kind of job. Yeah, I have as well. Neat idea, though. And the pricing is is not bad. Early Bird is 130.
5: It's bad. Routers are becoming expensive. Routers were always cheap and most of the times even offered. Yes, I'm not advocating for the offers that ISPs usually provide but they've always been cheap and out of a sudden they're becoming this expensive thing like they fix your problems and they never fix your problems
0: yeah also do you need your router to be a nas like i don't ever want my router to be a nas by yeah. the way dart i would like to issue a correction good routers that are that are expen those are expensive the cheap ones are like don't really have much security and don't really have updates just to give you a little bit of a Contortion.
5: I understand. What I mean is it should never be something too expensive. Look at the hardware that they bring inside. Most of the times, what they bring as a benefit, the higher range ones are not really on chips, but rather on design, of antennas, on ways of actually capturing signal, which is what a router is supposed to do really well. Yeah. Of course, when you're talking at a high bandwidth, that has an impact on the chips you're having there, and of course increases the price. But oftentimes when you're going to the $500 range, What you really mean is you should be paying a hundred something dollar range.
0: I uh, do like that it's open source. So it has like there is a premium as as a particular type of consumer that'd be willing to pay, but it's not a premium that I think the average consumer would be willing to pay. But we'll have a yeah, it's it's doing well funny-wise. We'll have a link in the show notes if you guys want to check it out after the show. But this is actually the story I was gonna start the show with, this next one. And it's gonna be one of these revelations that I think is gonna be received in two different ways in the community. Oh, good, more Linux and open source users. And the other one is, oh my God, Chrome OS is going to crush Linux sort of like the subsystem for Linux on Windows has been. This is happening. It just seems nothing but uh, absolute at this point. There is additional screenshots that have surfaced indicating that a terminal app that gives you access to the Bash shell on Chromebooks is shipping soon. It started back in February when there was some code base that revealed a, that Chrome OS would have some capability of running Linux applications using a container, which we, we talked about little a little bit, but there wasn't a lot to go into. Now it appears that additional builds have come out and more evidence of this feature has appeared in the Chrome OS dev channel and several Reddit users did some digging and they found a new terminal app that's been added to the app drawer and when you click on it, it explains the feature it comes up with a dialog and the dialog says You can now develop on your Chromebook You can run your favorite native apps and command line tools seamlessly and securely Installing the terminal will download 200 megabytes of data Probably a container, huh?
2: Wow, yeah. interesting.
0: And then when you try to do it, it fails at this point because um, it's not actually. Done. Look at that little logo; fits right in.
2: <clears throat> what do you think about this, Wes? Terminals on Chromebooks? I mean, that would be that would go a long way to alleviating you know the needs I have just to get like more work done. Sure, web browsing yeah. is fine, but if I could get even just SSH into some servers very right. easily, that would be right. maybe just maybe a sweet spot. Not for me still, but I think a lot of people could use it.
5: Google is learning that they need to actually attract developers, and that's the tool to attract developers. I think it's a, bit, a little bit too late and yeah, yeah. not really a threat for Linux.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. In fact, I think more so, I think about like my son who's been issued a Chromebook, and I think my daughter gets issued one next year. As part of her and their his school curriculum, and um, potentially now my son will have access to a terminal. That seems like it has way more upsides than it does downsides, and I'm sure Google's going to implement it in a way that he can't go like rm rf root or something. So we'll see that. Maybe maybe it won't matter because we'll all switch to uh, bollock. I don't know how you actually say it. It's, uh, it's block. Block. Oh, wash your mouth out. <laughs> 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 Belloc? What do you think, guys? B uh, what is it? Wes? B L L O C? No, no there's no A. No, it's way. bollock or bullock or what? Block. Like Everybody's a like switching to bollocks. Yeah, it's all it's all bollocks, my friends. No, I think I think block like a like a block of wood maybe is oh, kind of with like yeah, you know block it's, of wood. it's it's. it's it's a phone that is focused on simplicity. Simplicity. It's easy for me to say. It's a They say a plain, minimalistic smartphone that combines a power-saving operating system with efficient hardware and an easy-to-use messaging platform. And it's monochrome. The whole thing is monochrome. Nobody's buying it. I don't know.
2: Kind of sharp no, that's my I plan. mean, there was another
0: messaging platform. <laughs> well, another, exactly. it uses WhatsApp. It uses uh, – like it has Uber and Facebook Messenger and it has Google Maps. So like they've, they're bringing – somehow they're bringing a, a small set of applications. Instead of multiple distractions, we aim for focus. Instead of fragmented conversations, we strive for continuity and fluidity. Booking your flight, checking weather, or ordering on Uber – It all happens in one place, the root. So they have this UI system that they've designed, which looks a lot like Windows 8 tiles, only maybe a little more minimal and clean. And the whole UI is built around monochrome black and white. You mean it looks like Fushi OS? Kind of, yeah. I would say more Windows phone, possibly. Yeah, like a combo. It's a combo of them. It's a combo and then black and whited. And like if you were going to design today, it's got four gigs of RAM, which seems like a ton for a device like this. It's got an octoCore 2 gigahertz uh, ARM A53 Cortex processor. It's got a 3000 milliamp battery. It's got a camera in it, a decent Sony 13 megapixel camera in it. It's USB-C. Got, yep, USB-C.
5: It's got a headphone jack. It's got fast charging. Let me see if I got it right. So we took years and years of developing excellent cameras to then see them in a monochrome screen. Yes,
0: yes. And years and years of all these mobile applications to just have them on a simple black and white screen. I think that, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'll tell you, I know what the market, I I just know it. They're going for people that kind of want a feature phone, but they don't want to go that far back in time. They still want to be able to book an Uber and they still want to be able to use Google Maps. And so they need they need something that isn't full-fledged smartphone because they've just they've determined that's the evil thing in their life that's wrecking their life. And so if they purge the smartphone from life and they but they get something that's still capable of booking a ride and 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 nav, then they're not a crackpot that's trying like a pager or something in 2018. So I think there is a market for it. It just – it can't be $350. It can't be some boutique thing. It'd have to be sold at scale, at carriers. It'd probably have to be something from a Samsung or a Nokia in my personal opinion.
2: Yeah, that's 360 euros, so it's like 440. Oh, okay. It's even more, yeah. And
0: did, I dug and dug and dug. I didn't see a lot of references to Linux or Android in there. So like, there, but it must be. It must I be Android. I do not see what frequencies, bands it supported either. It's a weird device, but it's also if you. It is one of those devices that if you had this device, it would stand out. It sure would. I would say
5: if somebody really wants something like it, they would get a Yoda phone. Is that the one with the e-ink? Yes, it has a back of e-ink and the front is an actual screen. But you can actually just get away with using the ink.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool.
2: Yeah, but the difference between the Yotta phone and this phone is that the Yadaphone's phone's e- is display Russian. is very
0: low, very low in frame rate.
5: Yeah, but that's the thing. If you said it's because it's Russian, I mean, if the person really wants to get away from the modern smartphone and have this as an excuse to, I'm cutting down on this, yeah, the only downside would be that the phone is kind of Russian. <laughs>
2: it's the only really
0: Minimek, you make a good point that they might be overshooting with that screen, not because it's monochrome, but because of the size, huh?
2: Yeah, if you're a really feature phone user, you don't want a 5.5-inch phone. You want a smaller one. I, I'm i looking for a small 5-inch phone again, but I, you don't find some. Only Sony does want some.
0: Yeah, I've looked at that Sony one a couple of times and went, oh, that'd be sweet. I, miss, I, had, a, I had a Sony Ericsson back in the day that could fit in my coin pocket. Just this tiny little phone, a little GSM feature phone. The neatest little thing.
2: Lasts for days. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to, doesn't have to do much except make phone calls. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a moment right here and thank Ting then for sponsoring the Unplugged program. This seems like a natural spot. Go to, you ready for this? Linux.ting.com. You get to put Linux in there. Linux.ting.com and you'll get a $25 service credit or $25 off a device. It's smarter than unlimited mobile. It's pay for what you use. So right now, Wes, myself, and Noah are sitting here at the studio and all of our phones are on Wi-Fi. Every every like push notification we get, every telegram we get, it all is coming in over Wi-Fi, And I think that's why when you're a geek and you kind of understand that there's different networks and some are like you own them and you can use as much data as you want. And some are like rate limited by a service provider or monitored. Like you, if you just understand that concept, that's the only hack you need to get a, Ton of value editing. It's pay for what you use, just a fair price for however much you talk, text, and data you use, and you can rock that. I, I download my podcast, I pin my music on Wi-Fi, and that covers most of it. I text message over Telegram. Now Bob's my uncle. They have nationwide coverage and like I said, CDMA and GSM, so you can bring a device or you can just pick one up from Ting directly and choose whatever works best in your area. And when you go to linux.ting.com, you get $25 off a device. If you bring one, they'll give you $25 in service credit. And if you ever get stuck, you ever have a question, the best customer service in the industry, I wouldn't say that unless it was true. It is absolutely 100% true. They have the best customer service in the industry. And you can just get a taste of it when you call in. Linux.ting.com. That's where you go to get started. And speaking of those feature phones, they got a good smattering of them. Uh, they have uh, around $60. You can get a couple of great ones. And then they have one as low as $49. The Ancetel go Flip. It's got a monochrome, speaking of monochrome, a monochrome screen on the front, so you can get a clock and stuff like that, and you open up, it's got a full-color screen. Y- even these have, like, uh, cameras and stuff. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, it's like, even then, like, the reason why that camera's nice on these feature phones is for, like, insurance situations or whatnot. Just a casual picture doesn't need to be great, just a yeah. document. Come on, you know what you're taking pictures of. You don't need it to be that high <laughs> resolution. You know what I'm saying. Linux.ting.com. A big thank you to Ting for sponsoring this year Unplugged program, and uh, thanks to Ting, and thanks to you guys, For uh, Not only for sponsoring to Ting, but for you guys out there uh, going out there and using linux.ting.com to keep us going. 246 episodes. Keep on going over at Fedora, too. Fedora 28 is just around the corner. And one of the cool features in Fedora 28 is how badass their Thunderbolt 3 support is. It really all starts upstream with Bolt. Bolt's been getting development for a while. We've covered it once before on the show. Bolt is a project that's been moved now over to freedesktop.org that works with the security models of Thunderbolt 3, a D-Bus API, and in this case, Gnome and some kernel changes to give users control over Thunderbolt 3's permissiveness. So you hook up a device... If it's Thunderbolt 3, it's essentially on your PCI bus. It's like you just put a card inside your case. And so that gives you access to things like memory contents that are on the PCI bus. You might not want that, especially if you're in a more secured environment or there's other people around. You may want to be able to say, no, don't give that access to all of the things like my keys that are being stored in RAM right now. So there's bits now that have been added in GNOME Shell and backported to the GNOME shell that's shipping in Fedora 28, which is part of why Fedora 28 has a little bit extra sauce here. Ooh, a little uh, extra magic. Yeah, uh, GNOME 3.30 will have these changes upstream. I suppose anybody can probably backport them. But it comes with a new panel uh, in GNOME that allows you to manage all of this, and uh, it gives you features like being able to temporarily disable authorization if you don't want to do anything for a little bit, Uh, In technical terms, without authorization on the PCIe tunnels, uh, no new tunnels are allowed to be created on the bus. And then you get a failure mode. And the Thunderbolt, pol- the Thunderbolt port, <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to say, Wes. Uh, it will still will still function as USB, but uh, and DisplayPort, but it will not act as PCI. Oh wow! So it'll still kind this of work. Is sophisticated, but, yeah. You'll get options in GNOME, and you set those. It'll support firmware updates. Uh, if your screen is locked, if you're away, uh, you know, if your machine's asleep, it'll automatically default to disable. Oh, perfect! Some smart stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so that's coming in, in Fedora 28 is some really good, really good Thunderbolt 3 support. This is
2: some, presupport. like, quality desktop operating system level yeah. feature right here. I don't think you even get, you don't get that crap on the Mac. My other like. favorite part is that they're calling the activity indicator the cable snake. <laughs> that is good, good catch. That is a good part of it, you're right. The cable snake. I don't have a lot of Thunderbolt
0: 3 devices to test, but uh, I bet Wimpy, actually, you probably you probably have some of the most in the room because your, all your eGPU shenanigans have been over Thunderbolt. Have you thought about the security model stuff with this? Is this something you're concerned about when it comes to Thunderbolt?
6: Well, by and large, I've been using um, NUX in the house. So I've just been turning on the open it all up, you know, mode. Um, I've got a couple of laptops that I've used and I've been toggling the BIOS settings and I've been going out and about with those and I have been tracking this project and it's something that I want to look at during the Ubuntu 18.10 cycle to try and integrate. Cause like you say, it's, it's a bit niche, right? You need to be somebody that's using this stuff in order to appreciate its value. So something I'm going to be looking at over the next six months.
0: Neat. Yeah, it is It is something that not a lot of us have a need for yet, but I could see it coming down the road, uh, especially if, if eGPUs get more and more common. I, I'm really kind of excited about the potential of getting a low power laptop and then hooking up an eGPU to it. So I could see this becoming more
2: common, but we'll, it'll probably take a little while to warm up. I can see it for uh, like compliance reasons, too. There may be, you know. Things that you need to be able to prove about attaching peripherals to devices that sure, the absolutely. subsystem can support now. Yeah. You
6: know, I mean enterprises have been getting their pants in a lot about USB devices for years. Right. And this this is an interface where you're basically plugging into lanes on the CPU. <laughs> <laughs> so it needs to be well controlled and managed.
0: Yeah, fair enough. All right. I might need somebody to translate a little canonical ease for me here. But uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and covered on the Ubuntu podcast, well, was the Quigley proposal, which was a reevaluation of Ubuntu's testing milestones. And uh, now this is where I need the translation. So Simon made the proposal, and it came on up, and we talked about it a little bit, and it sounded pretty solid. Uh, the uh, general idea is starting from now on, uh, there will be an opt-in milestone, or I guess that's going to be discontinued, that's what it was, and there will be testing weeks from now on, uh, starting with the 1810 cycle, Um, and different flavors, I believe, will just say, I'll opt in, I'll do the testing, other flavors won't, and there'll just be a period of focus testing, and this is just going to start happening with the next cycle? Is this all all accurate? Anybody want to correct me on that? Okay, so I, 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 well, Popey, do you want to go for this, or should I? Knock yourself
6: out. <laughs> All right, I'll do it then. You can do the next one. Yeah, Whatever good. the
0: next one is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, mate. <laughs> I hope it is, actually. We should make it mate and make Popey do it.
6: <laughs> actually, actually, that's a really good let's idea. Let's do it. Let's, let's do, do it. that. If, yeah, let's if you have any that, suggestions, though. I,
0: I need a suggestion. Oh, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. We'll Despite his blushes and refusals, he's expert, by the way. I believe it. So is this? did I get my coverage of the milestones shift right? The, the testing weeks? What, what's going on? yeah so we use well we
6: currently do the flavors in ubuntu currently do like alpha one alpha two beta one and then at beta two that's when ubuntu steps in we all do beta two we all do RCs. so right now you know ubuntu 1804 is two days away so we're on our second release candidate image right now for those people that are following the qa train and testing stuff What the flavors are going to do for 1810 and we've all bought into this is we're going to drop those alpha ones and those alpha twos and those beta ones and as a community those flavors are going to replace those milestone releases with this is a week that all of the ubuntu community get behind to say this is a week we're going to do testing this is a week where you can go and grab the daily image for any of your favorite flavors and perform the testing and we're going to coalesce around a week of testing as a community in the whole rather than what we have now is silos of of the flavors doing testing within their own you know organizations Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're going to be replacing some of the manual testing that we've been doing with the automated testing that already happens within ubuntu proper So uh, that will mean that we can focus, the flavors can focus on the new and interesting things that they're working on rather than making sure the mechanics of installing and upgrading the distribution work. Hmm. So we can move away from manually testing that stuff to just focusing on the good stuff.
0: Now, how uh, does this exactly go down? So Simon makes a proposal and essentially nobody says no. And so then it just becomes the way it goes now it wasn't out of the blue
6: for anyone that's in the ubuntu developer community simon had had the good grace to contact us all on a one-to-one basis beforehand and sound us out so his proposal was crafted around feedback he'd got from those one-to-one conversations so this wasn't uh, from left of field you know this was simon presenting you know an idea that everyone was already Aware of and, and yeah. had already opted into to some extent. I-, I
0: guess I was more commenting on what seems to be a low level of friction to implement what is a rather significant uh, type of testing change, which is a good thing, right? It doesn't have to go through ten levels of uh, of counsel before it happens, but it just that's uh, that's that was interesting to see it go down. It makes sense yeah. if you if you discuss it ahead of time, you communicate it ahead of time to the stakeholders, quote unquote, and they're on board pretty safe bet it's gonna sail through smoothly and and i think i think there's only a
6: couple of flavors have represented this there's only one downside and and you know the downside that i see is that the only version that people are going to adopt early now will be the final beta so ubuntu proper and the flavors are going to have a version that's available on the same day and that's going to make it difficult for the flavors to grab a news cycle so traditionally we've kind of argued the toss between us about you know i'm going to make a big grandstanding announcement for alpha 2 and you're going to make a big grandstanding announcement for beta 1 and we know that those news cycles are clear for the flavors and those are going away now so that's the only downside Uh, but we've we've decided By and large, you know, we're prepared to give that up in order to, you know, work towards better testing methodology.
0: That's interesting. Thank you for that insight. I appreciate that. And, uh, I guess uh, to me, I look at it as uh, as sort of it draws in the focus. Like it seems that's what I loved about the proposal is it just it, it just sort of focuses everyone's attention on a period of time. Yeah, exactly. Now, Poppy, you wanted to do, add something to uh, this mix. Why don't you jump in? Yeah,
7: it's something you've um, you've highlighted the fact that Simon just brought this up on a mailing list and then it becomes law. Right? <laughs> is something that i think is a bit of a misconception about ubuntu people seem to think that canonical dictate all the decisions in ubuntu and all the flavors and nobody has any autonomy which is like this this shows just how far from the truth that is that anyone within the project if they've got a good idea and they can articulate it well and they can specify what the advantages are and what the costs will be then people will adopt it and it's the new way forward it's it, that's exactly how ubuntu works is people all around the community putting in their suggestions and coming up with ideas on how to improve the project and it's not all just Mark sitting in a gold chair dictating how the project is going to be run. It's brilliant. I love it.
0: Yeah, it's like you always say Poppy, the proof is in the pudding. I think you always you voice you always said that always
7: said every time. So. I've never said that. <laughs> I literally never said that. Well, I thought I heard that.
0: Uh yeah, a good point though. And um I we will, I guess we'll see this play out in 1810 right now. I don't, I don't want to I think we've probably spent enough on it because we should probably start focusing on 1804 coming up. Because uh, gosh knows I have I'm excited. Gosh good. darn it. But I want to talk about this Microsoft story just for a moment. Because um, it's one of those where it really slipped through the cracks because the corporate speak around it is all positive. You know, uh, so-and-so has departed from the company, and we will be moving this group to under this new group that we've just formed. And this new group is fantastic because it's future. And future is good, and the future is bright. And everything is good because future, and that's essentially the announcement that came out two weeks ago. And it's t- it's taken me a couple of weeks to process what's happened. Uh, Noah was here with me last night while I was doing the prep. We I I had uh, I was like I will not go off of one story. I don't care if it's trajectory. I don't care. I want three additional sources that are citing this. And so we found three additional sources. There or so well, we have them linked in the show notes that are citing this, um, and using and, Google Foo to the maximum. Yeah, yeah, both of us were. Yeah, the thing is, uh, it's sort of a huge, huge development. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to come on the air and accidentally overstate what had happened because it, it's, when you're digging through this corporate speak, it's it's early to to misunderstand. But there were clues that kind of all led to this. There say maybe dots that could have been connected. Uh, the first big clue about Windows' future was that. Microsoft's Windows and Devices Group is now called the Experience and Devices Group. They've dropped the Windows thing, and it includes now Windows, Office, and Surface. Microsoft's Office chief is now in charge of the division. So the guy that runs Office 365 is now in charge of the people that are developing Windows, uh, which that used, Windows used to control the shop. Uh, Windows and Office were really the two major fiefdoms in Microsoft that, that really fought. And then SQL came up. I mean, in the, in the good old days of Microsoft, the, the whole company, the balance of the entire company, was shifted towards Windows. And now it's being run by Office 365, which Microsoft internally just considers to be a smashing success. So Experiences instead of Windows was really the first big hint. But you could see really kind of signaling from Sachin Adela. When you look at the numbers, really, it's kind of obvious. If if Microsoft just took their heads out of their arse and looked around, they'd see that there's 2 billion monthly active Android devices, and there's more than a billion monthly active iPhones or Apple devices, iOS devices, all around the world. Well, Microsoft claims there's 1.5 billion Windows users total and 600 million Windows 10 users as of November. So Windows is now a tertiary platform,
5: really. That doesn't make it tertiary, though. So here is how I will say it does not. The customers that pay the most are the ones that are obligated to do so, and those are enterprises and governments. How many governments are using OS X?
0: I wouldn't look at it from the desktop perspective. I, in that case, you could flip that question around and you could say services. And, and there would be, why would they even be going to cloud services? And a lot of times, it's because they're trying to address a massive mobile demand. I mean, that was a huge source of my client base towards the end of my IT career was companies scrambling to redo their services because of the demand from mobile clients. Uh, I think if you look at it, every Windows user has an Android or an iPhone. So it's it's just huge in terms of end-user reach. And you look at look at companies like Uber who are... Or are worldwide phenomenons, and there's they've never they've never written a Windows
5: app. Those haven't written necessarily an Android app or an iOS, iOS X app.
0: You could make a point that they might be using Windows to make the Android app. So I'm not trying to discredit Windows, but my point is, if Microsoft has their head out of their arse, they've got to be seeing this. Like the, Windows isn't the biggest isn't the biggest uh, 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 game in town anymore. They got to be seeing that.
5: Chris, you are preaching to the choir. I'm the person in here who made the prediction Microsoft would have a Linux distribution, <laughs> which they now do. Have oh, okay, all right, Just fair a enough. Moment, yeah, okay? you did get that. Just a moment. You did get that, and not only I will tell you that in a year and a half to maximum of two years, they will have a desktop environment that is proprietary on a Linux machine.
0: Wow, I mean, I I would have said you. I would have said no way last time. I want to
5: say that now, but uh, yeah, (laughs) I just never know, boy. I mean, you just never know. It just makes business sense. It does. It does. They have the subsystems, which they can now start building their own apps against the subsystems, and the devices. So they sell already Android phones. They sell Samsung S 8s by the way. So that's actually how they acquired the skill set. They bought Android apps, um, businesses, so that they would get the skills without indicating to the market that there would be ditching Windows. That's how they wanted to get the developers. They got the developers by acquisition, not by hiring. Because you can't hire a, uh, you can't lie on a hiring uh, job advertisement of what the person's going to do. Otherwise, you don't hire the right person.
0: Don't you think, though, that it is, it is sort of like uh, the biggest... Anticlimactic ending to the to the
5: Windows no. Empire? No, it's actually strategic. Oh, so sure it is. It so, is. So, so, so I don't think it's even even anticlimactic because what's gonna happen is you get the Windows experience. Like the thing that Microsoft always gives you, which is continuity with partners. This is the thing that Windows and Microsoft have always, always guaranteed to you. Yes, it was not the perfect operating system. It never was. It never intended to be. It was never the unified experience. But it always worked. And when you got a peripheral from a partner, it always worked. Yeah,
0: you know what I would do if I was Microsoft is I would look back You know, with the same glasses that they're looking at the rest of the market and going, God, look at all these iOS and Android devices. I'd look back and go, well, so what is the market for Windows? Because when you've got a billion users and 30 years of user base... You're not going away. You know, just like just like IBM, you're going to be here forever. Go away. How could they, they won't go away. Well, I mean eventually, but what could they do right now, say in the next 10 years, to make Windows super relevant? And I would look at the technical and development market and the people building applications and services like that seems like where Windows goes too slow,
5: too too little for Microsoft, they, see? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm see my prediction here is the following. Okay. Uh I, I, Google has invested has invested in, in in making their assistant the best as possible and they've captivated people into using for alarms and things like that. So it's already useful, right? Yeah. Um yeah. Microsoft has been trying to put the assistant mostly on professional fields first. For example, Skype for Business includes live translation. Things like that in China, you know? So things like Hmm. that are Mm -hmm. the most powerful to integrate. For example, you also look into Cortana. Cortana is not intended to just do calendars and stuff. It's mostly for you actually to try to find files, to run applications. It's kind of more of an assistant design strategy. And that means that if they get it right over time... Microsoft has the capacity to, oh, we sell you an Android phone, which includes Cortana. And by the way, we sync it with a desktop. And really, when Samsung gets comes out with a phone, which is like about one to two years different distance from now, which is going to be full glass, there's not going to be buttons on it. The assistant makes full sense. It's just the phone that the assistant shows you some stuff. Sure, yeah. And you talk to it. I, would, I agree they would love that. That would be really big for them. Uh,
0: I, okay, I want to give Reaver a chance to get in here because he tagged me. Reaver, you still think there's a spot for Windows to be pretty relevant, don't you?
8: Uh, not really, no, I can tell you the situation that I have right now at work that's happening. I, I manage probably forty or fifty, maybe sixty Windows desktops, and I can tell you ninety nine point nine percent of the applications that they are running are open and free source applications. Really? and we're we're just I'm on a precipice right now of developing a Linux desktop for them, and they can just take away the entire overhead of running, windows desktops there's just almost no necessity for it yeah the problem I'm, i am mean, the problem i'm facing now is is a cultural one they they don't want to switch they don't want to get you know from my cold dead hands they they really don't want to get away from that <laughs> but i am in a fortunate position where the entire backend infrastructure is solaris and linux so mm. it, it's it's really going to dovetail in quite nicely if i can make it happen Mm-hmm.
5: And the other thing really to think about is most users don't care what's running underneath. They just want to get into the apps.
0: You guys are really kind of uh, clarifying the strategy here. which is I think it's the right one for Microsoft to be making, and maybe they should have even done it a
5: decade sooner, you could argue. Uh, no. Well, no, you don't think so? No, I don't think so. If they'd done it a decade sooner, they would not get the support of the people. I they agree had with that to screw. I think I think <clears throat> yep. they screwed up enough, right? Now that people are like, yes, right. yes, do not yeah. spend money doing this stuff. Yeah, just keep on doing what's 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 already tested. And the
0: staff inside Microsoft know it too. They they can see it. They see and they see Satya Nadella making the choices to. I'm not trying to pin this all in such a, but they see the company shifting away from Windows. They see it. There's got to be internal support because the, the stock price, if okay, so I looked at the stock price since they started talking like this um, years ago. And and then and then the more they've talked like this, the more shifts they made. The more they've de-emphasized Windows. Their stock price has continued to climb.
2: the the, the staff see that. the The management sees that. The market sees I mean, that. I think it makes sense, right? They they seem more like a, like the other big tech companies now, right? They're just yeah. I think of them. It's almost like Google had bought Windows from Microsoft and running it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Except they're doing it with the Microsoft way and Azure, right? So, I'm going to even say something bolder: Microsoft will save Linux from
5: Apple. Whoa. Okay, <laughs> this is this is reality. So look at this. Apple has got the most of normal users, okay with their devices and now they're getting education, which is how you hook up. It's the old Microsoft strategy. First those is free and uh, then forever you pay for it, right? So now they've got education and they've also got governments. Most governments tend to use Apple devices because it's simple to use. They've now managed to make a singular programming language, which actually has attracted a large sum of developers that would otherwise not work in Apple devices and made it all super appealing. They have made the good headlines in the privacy sector. Even though we know better technologically, uh, we still know that most of the common Joe picks up that and says, oh, Apple sticks up to us. And ultimately, Apple is running the game. Uh, Google has the best services uh, by far, but Apple is the platform where those services run as the most part. So it becomes really hard. Yeah, the industry does seem to follow their lead in a lot of areas. So if Microsoft really picks up on this desktop world of Linux, then yes, Microsoft will be the most popular Linux distribution on the planet. I'm going to need to have a few drinks before I yeah. can even think more about that one. Uh, yeah,
2: prophetic stuff right there.
5: Yeah. Hmm. And their money is going to be made on the cloud and they know it. So it's not a problem because, hey, they can play the cool guy that has everything open source and everything is nice. But ultimately, you buy an Xbox and runs your Linux games because that's your Steam machine, by the way. It's an Xbox.
0: No, you're crazy now.
5: You're crazy now. Come on. Come look, I'm on. telling you like a ten year plan, right? So in two years they'll have the desktop. And I already can tell you this. And in, in about ten years, I expect this to be your normal thing. It's huh, like okay. it, when you when you look at Tron when you look at Tron, that there is this company that has one OS that everybody uses. That's Microsoft, but yet OS underneath will be Linux.
0: Yeah, they do like that, and you could also see their IoT platform, Azure Sphere, what starts out very humble, scaling up to a very high-performance system ten years down the road. I mean, ten years, there's going to be a lot of different
5: types of CPU developments and memory. They've got the head on uh, collision. With AR, they've built the most sophisticated AR display system for actual professional world. They are not even kidding about making entertainment pieces. And guess what? When you go to your doctor, your doctor is going, going to use HoloLens, not Oculus stuff, not Vivo stuff not iphone stuff not apple stuff yeah it's gonna be hololens because that's the one that works right now and they've been using surgery right now i
6: never hear anyone talking about hololens i hear talking people talking about uh, vive and oculus so where's this shift to hololens gonna come from
5: okay um i can tell you already for example right portugal spain finland um, have already done government contracts where Hololens is being deployed in hospitals for remote surgery. Whoa! Well, the idea of a dedicated piece of hardware that comes from a company like
0: Microsoft—that uh, seems like that'd be more appealing than a doctor holding up an iPhone to a patient. So I, I definitely get that. Uh, I don't know if I'll—we'll see. That'd be that'd be remarkable, remarkable developments. There are a couple of things, a couple of threads that you've touched on that do seem very Microsoft. Uh, like their ability to sell to business channels for a HoloLens-type device is something that Microsoft's going to do better at than anybody else making a device like that. Uh, and the fact that they do really want one OS that they can run everywhere. I think that's in the DNA of the company. Uh, but just Windows is no longer that OS, and so they're in a they're in an awkward teenage transition I mean, phase right lo- now.
5: They lost every knowledge that they had about Windows that was relevant. They hired React OS guys to help them understand le- Windows. It no longer makes sense to do that just bought a few Android apps companies. People yeah. with knowledge about the Linux operating system, and now they hope to keep it on because it's open source and it's easy to go and read and learn about it. It's making my head spin thinking
0: about this. You mentioned React OS for a second. I gave it a go for Linux Action News 50. I, I gave a little mini review on Linux Ooh. Action. Wow. I, I'll just short, short TLDR is... I'm going to be following that project with some interest. Uh, it's it's like peak Windows is how I describe it. Peak Windows. It's hitting that sweet spot right for you. It's a little tricky to get up and running, but uh, it, they really have something there. They that is, I thought I wrote it off as a joke, so I never tried it because I thought the only reason I would ever use Windows would be to run applications so that are proprietary and that I can't run on Linux. So why would I want to run ReactOS, which would probably be like trying to use Wine? But I'll tell you what, it's it that was a mistaken assumption on my part. This is an amazing, impressive open source operating system they've built, and I forgot how Windows two thousand, the Windows ninety eight SE two thousand era UI, is just, it's just hard cold efficient. It's hard cold efficient and pretty simple, just straight yeah. up. You're yeah. very familiar with it already. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. sounds mm. familiar. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I was supposed to throw a mate uh, hardball at Poppy. Um, Bobby, could you tell me uh, specifically what I'm, what's the major stuff I'm going to be missing if I install Ubuntu Mate 18.04 Minimal
7: Edition? So, the Minimal Edition for Ubuntu proper stripped out only a few applications like LibreOffice, but the Ubuntu Mate developers went a bit further and stripped out pretty much everything so there's very little left for you so for example if you i mean you might think oh i'm losing stuff because i'm ripping it out but actually it makes a great base to start from because if you install Ubuntu Mate minimal then you could maybe make it auto login install steam and there you go you've got your steam box hmm huh.
6: What do you say? I oh, would think I'm I'm welling up with pride. No, no, yeah, right he did now. so
0: good. Yeah, he <laughs> did. You know what? I'm going to give you, you a, how I know that Because yeah, I did that. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm going to give you an RMS. That's uh, a, I've
3: never installed GNU/Linux. You, know,
0: you earned that one. You earned that one. That was good. All right. Well, I'll you know as we get down the show a little bit, I'll talk about my experimentations recently with uh, a minimal install and loving it. But I'll tell you more in detail in a moment. But let's talk about DigitalOcean for just a moment here. doco slash unplug. DigitalOcean is simplicity at scale. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. You spin up a rig on DigitalOcean and get off to the races. If you want to use a base system and build it from there, you can, or an entire application stack. You want a simple markdown-based blog, WordPress is too much, deploy Ghost in one click. You just des- You decided it's time to use your own GitLab? Deploy that with a single click. Or you want to build something from the ground up. You go deploy Fedora, Debian, CentOS, or of course, Ubuntu and others, including FreeBSD, and you're good to go. In less than 55 seconds, you'll have a machine. It'll have predictable pricing. It's secure. It's reliable. It's easy to scale up when you need more. And if you go to do.co slash unplugged, and you have a new account, you sign up, $100 credit. A $100 credit at DigitalOcean. It's designed for developers, but it works for everybody, a new user, an experienced user, you'll be really, really impressed. That's why tons of open source projects use DigitalOcean. Companies like Slack use DigitalOcean, and they have block storage. They have S3-compliant spaces. They have network-level firewalls, and they have super-fast systems with SSDs everywhere, 40-gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, and 12 data centers all over the world. We got the memo right here to prove it do.co slash unplugged, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program, do.co slash unplugged, and get that $100 credit. Oh, man, that's a great credit. Hey, a wild Dan the Rabbit enters. Hello, Dan. Ooh. Good to see you. Nice to have you. Hey, how's Hello. it going? It's going good. How are things going over in elementary land? Oh, they're going great. Yeah, I bet. I bet it's busy days over there. I would imagine. I saw you guys had a new app spotlight this week. Uh, uh, the app, that app center is cranking. Cranking. Yeah,
4: we're uh, 87 apps now. I think.
5: Ooh,
0: I wonder if
4: you'll get to now, 100. Is that, is that 87 or 86 or 88? <laughs> Can you be more specific? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just you know they're coming in all the time, so it's hard to keep track of how many how many there are. That's the right answer. How many are
0: Electron Dan? Oh, zero. Oh! Ooh! All right, I do want to change topics for a moment. I want to talk about this infamous GNOME shell leak, which was more like uh, a memory misbehavior uh, problem, which I broke down in Linux Action News. So I'm not going to recap it here, but it does look like a fix is in the works. So I want to talk about another part that they bring up. After all the technical discussion in this post is complete, uh, there's some final thoughts And the uh, author writes, I'd like to raise an interesting discussion about how people reacted to the memory leak news and reflect upon this. And uh, screenshot some comments, which I think might be from OMG Ubuntu, but as you know, it doesn't really matter. It's comments or comments on the internet. And when you read through there, you see people saying things like, oh, of course, this is GNOME. This is how they always do it. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, I know you all ask, but the answer is no. A fix for the big GNOME memory leak is not uh, going to come. There's all these negative things about GNOME. And the author says, as a regular contributor for the last few years, this kind of comments, they sound alien to me. These comments sound so completely disconnected from the reality of the development process of GNOME. It completely misses the individuality of the people involved, maybe because we all know each other, but it's just plain impossible for me to paint this whole community as a they, or as, quote, the GNOME developers. To a deeper degree, it misses the nuance and the beauty of the community-driven development and each and every individual that make it happen. It almost feels... this is the part that really got me, because it's true. It almost feels like there's a wall between the community and the users of the community that for the, what it produces, which is weird. We are an open community with open development, no barriers for new contributors, and yet there is such a distance between the community of users... And the community of developers, design, outreachers, etc. Is it a communication problem from our side,
5: and how can we bridge this gap? It's a communication problem from their side because Red Hat continuously sponsors events about talking about the GNOME project, embeds everybody into the GNOME project. When individual applications drive within the GNOME project, they make it a GNOME application, and now they expect the the credit or criticism to be attributed individually get real,
0: and hmm. I'm a GNOME supporter. I see your point, it's it's sort of been their branding in a sense, it's
5: been their public uh, persona, has been this cohesive GNOME environment. Absolutely, like I know that projects are individual. Once you try to contribute, you learn about it. But if you're a user, you never see it, that's the truth. Like even the, the, the Git or the source trees goes under GNOME slash browse source and it, all projects are listed there. Never expect that to be a non-unified team of people.
4: Yeah, one issue that I've run into just from an outside perspective is when things get published on like planet.gnome.org, you know, and then people take that as like, oh, this is, you know, news from Gnome. And then people in the Gnome community will say, no, no, that's just like a random individual's blog. We're just aggregating it. So it's really like unclear, like what is speech coming from Gnome officially, and what is like just some guy that happens to work on something tangentially
5: gnome related?
0: Is this a symptom of how open source software gets
7: made? You have
5: you no, have people. That, of, it's a symptom of Red Hat. Sorry, Chris. You think so? No, it's not.
7: It's not It's not unique to Red Hat. We've had this as well. It's because there's concentric circles of activity and you've got people right at the core. You've got someone like uh, Daniel and Cassidy who work on elementary and then there are people in the periphery around them and then people further out. And then you've got all the idiots on Reddit who have an opinion and aren't afraid to use it and will voice that uninformed reckon on the internet and won't be engaged with those people right at the center of the circle and that's unfortunately how all open source projects seem to work right now
5: Yet when Canonical says something, I can usually know that Canonical said it or an individual person said it. And you guys, actually Ubuntu, has made an extreme effort of demonstrating what is community related. And you coming in this show many times clarified what is a community effort, what is a canonical effort. And it has always been kind of clear as a developer trying to contribute on things. While well, when it came down to GNOME, not as much.
7: I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't characterize it as... We do it differently or better than than them. in inverted commas. I'm saying, like, as I'm, somebody that
5: has done the I'm outreach, right? I'm so a, I'm as a developer, when I tried, I felt better that uh, about Ubuntu communication and canonical communication than I felt about GNOME. And I'm right, a GNOME yeah. user. I'm telling I don't, you that I don't, personally, I've had this experience. I don't want to make this about me or us
7: because it's not. It's about like the GNOME project and and the way they manage their projects. But myself and Martin, we're not paid to be here. Canonical don't tell us to come on this podcast. We do it because we want to as individuals. It's nothing that is part of my job. I would be here whether I was doing
5: this job or not because I enjoy it. And this, I'm pretty sure the same goes for Marty. Look, that's great. And that benefits Ubuntu and Canonical to the point that there are, have been cases in the past that we have detected and I have felt that there was a confusion. And because you were here, it clarified Now, I cannot say the same about the GNOME outreach team or paid or not paid. I have not seen people that were clarifying it. And because there's people in the Ubuntu and Canonical community that understand it and explain it to people, it's easier to understand. That was my feeling. Dan usually comes here and also does the same effect to to elementary. And it's kind of just... eh makes enriches yeah
0: i guess i guess there there could be um stronger voices uh, multiple voices coming from gnome that are uh, making it clear what they're doing and uh, trying to reach out to different mediums i think
7: that would be helpful i think it's a little bit difficult for because they've now got this perception that um there is the them and us there is that barrier between them that whenever they do put their head above the parapet they get shot down like, quite heavily, and mm-hmm. I know Daniel has seen that as well, you know, when he puts a public post out, or when Cassidy puts a public post out, they get a lot of abuse, and some people just aren't prepared to put their head above the parapet.
0: Yeah, you'd rather keep your head down and develop and create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, it, I I wonder where they're going to take this, but it seems like maybe there's some self-awareness of the issue, and that is, as they say, the first step, you know, is that starting we're, with... We're talking about it now, right? Yeah, so. and they're talking about it. Yeah. I want to share a uh, 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 I guess an app pick that I came across this week that I thought was pretty neat. I've just begun experimenting with backing up different aspects of my Plasma desktop configuration. And I wanted to create some sort of standardized method to do that. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll look for an app that would do it on the Linux desktop. And I came across KBackup. Surprise, surprise. KBackup is an application that lets you back up any folders or files in a TAR archive to a local folder or a locally mounted device or a USB stick, or a remote URL. So it's pretty simple, straightforward. You can set up profiles and things
2: like that. I can see why you like this. It just screams Chris to me. <laughs> it is nice, simple, nice yep. graphical tool. You like Tars? I mean, I
0: do. Clear to see what the target is. Clear to see where it's coming from. I could say this is my config backup. These are my these are my documents backups. Like you have different profiles in there, and um, you can set up jobs and whatnot. So it's simple, easy, and uh, I'm all about the Plasma desktop these days. So it's K Backup. Nice. I was reading too. Speaking of the Plasma desktop, that uh, in uh, Plasma 5.13, there's going to be some implementation for uh, pipewire support for remote screen sharing, on Wayland, including Ooh. yeah. And I think that also includes like screenshots and stuff. So we could we'll start getting like uh, see? wow screen
2: look at, look at sharing. How things are
0: going. Maybe even OBS screen capping, uh, remote desktop. Which remember all the haters for years of always said I can't go to Wayland. I I need X as a network transparency. Well. Looks like they're building it into K Wayland. I think you accidentally planned like a happy happy themed episode here. K Wynn. I know. Oops. I know. Oops. So 5.13 is going to have the early piping for Wayland's uh, desktop session with remote screen recording and sharing uh, in uh, Plasma 5.13, it looks like. So I'm looking forward to that. Some good news. Some good, good news. tradition for us to destroy our studio and rebuild it just hours before linux fest kicks off every year it's the uh, one time of year where noah and i just set like a week aside before linux fest and so all of the things we've been thinking about all year we can bust out and this year you guys have heard me threatening for many many weeks now to load my systems up with kubuntu 1804 and use that as our production OS here at Jupyter Broadcasting. But uh, a son of a gun thing about the timing of Linux Fest Northwest is every single damn year, it falls right around the release of the next major Ubuntu which always means every dang year we end up in this perpetual debate cycle. Should we use 1804 or, you know, whatever the next release is? Should we use the current stable interim release? What should we do? If we install the current interim release, we're going to have to upgrade in a few months to the next release, and then all this could break. Or should we roll the dice and go with something that's a release candidate but not officially released yet, could have some last-minute changes? You never know if software compatibility's there. It has been tiring and obnoxious because it happens every single year because we yeah. always land on the schedule and uh, we've chosen different routes at different times i think it might have even been what kind of led us to start using arch in production is we just needed current obs and ffmpeg packages and we were sick and tired of this there, dance just doesn't exist there it just doesn't exist uh, but we're back we're back on ubuntu in production and Full circle we decided to just commit to 1804 and and try to make it work and put it in production. So since our last episode, we have reloaded many uh, systems here in the studio to Kubuntu 18.04, which, as you as you know, I've gone into uh, a, a tirade about every time our GNOME 3 system crashed on us and our recording was interrupted. I'd, I'd go on about how Kubuntu 18.04 is this beautiful mix of LTS-Cute and LTS-Plasma and LTS-Ubuntu, and it's just going to sit there and be an appliance, and it's the perfect solution. Um but when it came down to it, we almost went with XFCE. Almost. Almost ended up going with XFCE 16.04. Wow, yeah, really? Yeah, I'll tell you about that story and uh, why this we would ended be up a on a different
2: episode. I know
0: it would be. I know it would, it would have been Joe would have been titled Joe was right. Uh but first, let's talk about Linux Academy, linuxacademy.com/unplugged. They have a huge huge month. April is Big for Linux Academy. 70 plus new courses and challenges and learning activities. It breaks down like this. 20 new courses with some refreshes, 50 new cloud assessments, hands-on learning activities, and new challenges. And if you're watching live today, you can catch Linux Academy's live stream. They're doing some giveaways tomorrow, Wednesday, and it's a big month for them. It's been really impressive. They've been staffing up and adding new people. They have instructors that are there to help you, and they're writing new courseware. They're refreshing the old courseware. When you're a subscriber to Linux Academy, you just get all this stuff, all this new con, all this new content, all these courseware refreshes, all the new things they're developing. You get that, uh, and and it, like for example, the Orion Papers is a huge success for Linux Academy. If you haven't checked it out yet, go check them out. Just go. You can go Google Linux Academy Orion Papers is an example of some of the content you get that is like. Like nothing else anybody else is doing because Linux Academy is stacked full of Linux enthusiasts and lovers and they've got educators and developers that have come together to create this platform to help you learn more with self-paced in-depth video courses hands-on scenario-based labs and like i've mentioned those human beings that can help you and they have a community that's stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members cuz we've been working with them for almost 5 years now and so people have been subscribing from Linux to from Jupiter Broadcasting to Linux Academy it's a nice community over there we like seeded it with like some of the best people it's true. I take credit yeah, for now that Yeah, it's, now no, it's just great, friendly. friendly. Yeah, and they've, grown, they've just grown and grown and grown. And they have a course scheduler that's amazing. It'll work with your busy day to help you set a learning goal and stick to it. They have practice exams to help you get ready to test. And if you need certification training, they've got that too. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there and sign up for a free seven-day trial and support the show LinuxAcademy.com/unplugged. All right, so we did end up on Kubuntu 1804, but we almost went with uh, XFCE's Ubuntu 1604 because there was a few unknowns when you're when you're going with a, a yet to be released version of an operating system. And we tested against 1604 quite a bit with our capture cards and 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 the whatnots. We loaded XFCE uh, up. It was really. I keep saying it XFC because it's, it doesn't matter which distro it was, but it was, it was the desktop we were going for. But it was Ubuntu sixteen oh four, and it was okay. It was actually pretty good. I liked it, but we started noticing a couple of little oddities. Uh, a couple of our production applications we use use system tray icons, and I didn't expect this with XFC, but they just they stopped showing up. Really. They weren't showing oh. up. And so uh, we were like, oh, okay, maybe we can fix that. And then we had a couple of other little glitches where, where it looked like things were, uh, like Some I had this issue where one of the panels were flashing when I would move the OBS, when it's just small things. And Noah and I looked at each other and we thought, you know, neither one of us are using XFC on a daily basis. All the other machines in the studio are Plasma. We're both using Plasma as our daily drivers. This is just the OS I mean it's just the interface we're getting the most familiar with and when you're using something in a live production environment you really want it to be something you're you're hyper familiar with so that way you can use it almost with muscle
2: memory yeah just second nature
0: definitely. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about it and you know what okay all right let's put let's put uh, let's put on there and see how it does and it's been it's been pretty it's been pretty great it's really been it's been Problem free, actually. Uh, OBS loaded up just fine. Our our production software, the mixer software, is working just fine. Our remote control uh, surface is working great. Stability has been top notch. Really, I have no complaints. It's been it's been solid. Hey, Brown Bear, if you want to come here and talk, come on in. Come on, get in here. Come on, Brown Bear, get in here. Give me one second. Come on in. So you Noah's know, been here uh, since um, Thursday of last week. And we've been retooling different aspects of the studio, which really starts with the reloading of the operating systems. That's really how we start. That's it's the like, root of it. Yeah. It's like, okay. What machines do we want to reload first? And uh, you know, how critical are they? And what shows can we do this in? And we had a small production window when he got here, where there was no shows
2: being recorded until Sunday. We didn't end up on CentOS, so there you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we got we got the machines. We got the machines reloaded basically Thursday until Sunday. We got all the machines re refreshed, re- reinstalled. We still have a couple of machines to swap out Mm -hmm. because we found some
1: problems as we went along but it's been smooth right like yeah I think so I think um, I think what's been really exciting for me is I I can tell you know pretty much early on I can see when you're comfortable with something and when you have some reservations and it's never the first um, the first few days it's never the first week that I'm worried about right It's one month in, it's two months in, it's six months in, that's where I know where something has come. Because while I'm here and while you can say, hey, Brown Bear, come here and fix this problem, (laughs) then it's not not an issue, right? It's when something becomes routinely problematic and it starts as like, well, this is a little bit of a problem, but you have to solve it week after week after week by yourself. That's when you stay, you hit a limit and you say, okay, that's it, I'm done with this. And so far- We have not hit any of those things where you're like, well, this is even mildly frustrating. So I mean, time will tell. Obviously, if if this work pans out long term, but it seems like you're making a whole new investment, uh, you know, even a year in uh, to 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 this entire Linux infrastructure. Yeah. Well,
0: I think the way to put it is we we just we had uh, too much vodka. We sat around the we sat around the studio living room and we said, all right, if we're going to hit the reset button today and. just did like a you know just a total like restart Mm -hmm. would we stick with Linux do you really really want to stick with Linux and we ended up putting another Linux box in uh, and we're switching over our multi-track recording system which for a little while was being done on Windows 7 using Audition as we were just experimenting with something that could record 32 tracks off of a USB (laughs) interface Right. And uh, but you know it's expensive and it's Windows and it's proprietary software and we couldn't find something that was true top to bottom open source but we did manage to find something something that does multi-track recording on Linux really well. Uh, You've been using it a little while for Ask Noah, so we we knew it was a a pretty safe bet. And it's called Reaper. And uh, they don't want you to know it's available for Linux. They won't even give you a link to download it. But if you know how to find it on the internet, you can get a binary, you download it, and it's a full-fledged, production-quality, multi-track editor and recorder that we're using right now to record
8: one, two, three, four, five channels. I used it last night to record a 16-track band. Yeah, you d- it's, yeah, yeah, really. It's really fantastic. And what do you think of it? Oh, I love it. I, I've got a Yamaha A1V96i uh, and uh, picks up all the inputs and I sign them in and just uh, streams it straight in and records them all. Yep. Let me ask you something. What kind of milk do you guys sell in, in the state of
1: Washington? <laughs> Why is that? D- I'm just curious. Do you have Lando Lakes here? Uh, I don't think oh, we have that as butter, but not as milk. Okay. Well, we have Lando Leet. I mean, sorry, not Lando. Lando Leet, not Lando. La- Lando not, Lakes, not Lando Leet. I meant to say Lando Lakes, not yeah. Lando Leet. But yeah, uh, uh, Kukos, the company who makes uh, Reaper, they won't let you uh, have the download link to the land or not Lando. Why do we keep saying Lando Leet? They won't let you have the download to Reaper. You uh, you just have to Google it a little bit.
0: So, yeah, you Google yeah. it around. You giving us a hint there? Is that what you're trying to do? Give us a hint right there? No, I
1: just I really felt like milk. Milk. Yeah, yeah. It's a hint.
0: Okay. I see. I see what you're doing there. Okay. I don't know how to decode it, but I know there's some hint there. Uh but th- yeah, they they like won't even let us share the link. Right. We can't. They they yeah. will they will come after us. So
1: just get yourself a glass of milk and you'll be set. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, okay. I'll try to remember that. But I was really uh sort of like uh relieved because after uh you know, being really kind of stuck with Final Cut and then looking at it going, Oh man, now now we're now we have audition, like this is just not the right direction to go mm-hmm. in. It's a big relief to find something like Reaper that does really good multi-track recording in a production environment, and it has all these other little aspects like the, I like about it. So it's
1: it's great. Know, And one I'm of really the, one things we should talk about too is so when you were when we started talking about actually using a machine, right? You're pretty. OS fluent, right? You can you can, you can jump on a windows machine. You can jump on a Mac. You can jump on a gnome desktop. You can jump on a KDE desktop. And one of the things that you said that really resonated with me early on in this project is, man, I sure would like to have one desktop environment that just runs everywhere because your hands start to get into that muscle memory thing of launching applications and where to find individual settings and stuff like that. And under stress, particularly in a production environment, the ability to know where all of that stuff is and not have to look or find it is a huge plus. Right? So if we can get all of these machines running identically, I think that bodes very well for the future of Linux in here. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of
0: famously the rolling release person, but the truth of the matter is there's a super compelling aspect, uh, appealing, compelling, appealing, it's compelling, mm-hmm. uh, aspect to combining um, a desktop that I'm really excited about right now right. with uh, a distro that's super well-supported in the in- industry and a couple of uh, applications that are getting good support too. Because yeah. the at uh, the other end, so Reaper is for our audio. But on the other end, we have OBS Studio, right. which is also getting a ton of good support. So it's like this is a really sweet spot to be in in terms of well-supported application from the community, from the developers, upstream. Like all of it's all pretty solid right now, ground that we're on. I'd say this sound, this ground feels more solid to me than if I was doing all of this on an Apple machine and I'm looking at what they're, how Apple is floundering with the professional market right now. Mm-hmm. that feels way, way shakier ground than what we're on.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, especially, you know, they can put pressure on a lot of these software manufacturers. So, you know, like Final Cut isn't going anywhere, even if they do dump x86, go to ARM. But what might happen is... Reaper may not decide to port their uh, their well actually they already have it on arm I'll use Audition may not decide not to port to uh, to this new you know mm-hmm. Mac platform and they'll say you know a lot of the people you know especially in the, the video side they're they're sticking on Windows um, and so if that's the case are they going to port that code base over maybe maybe not we don't know um, and so. The ability to be able to buy any machine, and then the interchangeability of these machines too. So we were talking about just earlier before we went on the air. Yep. we've got one machine that's dying. We've got another machine. Now, if you had to square up the fact that, well, this is an all-in-one and doesn't have PCI ports, and this is the older one that has the PCI ports, and this is the new one that has the, you don't have to worry about any of that. They're yeah. all interchangeable. Any mm-hmm. one of these machines can serve any purpose.
0: They're all they're all different PCs. Well, actually, we have similar PCs, but they're they're uh, right. they're not like. They're not like it's not like a fleet of IMAX in here. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same desktop environment. It's the same OS. It's the same exact software. Yeah. And that is really nice from somebody who's working on a tight budget. I just need something that's high quality production that I know we can drop in. That's going to be stable. And realistically, I might I might be able to hang out here for five years on 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 these eighteen oh four machines if I so choose to. You only got to make it a
1: year and I'll be back.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, if we get it right, it just keeps working. Well, I knew this time we had a pretty good shot because uh, if this doesn't work, then he can't do the Ask Noah show here. So he yeah, had to get right, right yeah. <laughs> So that sort of sealed the deal, I figured. And then we just have been really sort of just doing acrobatics around the shows, trying to like break components that like, well, we know like yesterday or no, just this morning. This morning, we didn't have an OBS machine we could control. We just, you know, it wasn't done yet, but we didn't Ooh. need it to do TechSnap. Right. So we didn't have to fix that until the afternoon. Yeah. So You kind when- of bite
1: us, though, because we did, We did. I forgot to set up Love.
0: So. Yeah, there, well, there was all that, and we started a little late. But that's just the sort of fine wire we're working on. But hopefully, we'll get this all done. We'll even maybe have a chill day on Friday and uh, then go to Linux Fest. Yeah, right, I know. I know that's a that's a that's a pipe dream. Yeah, because gonna happen. For extra credit, we're gonna try to get down to Wes's pad tomorrow and uh, maybe set up a little local studio for Wes Thursday. down there. I think, yeah. Oh yeah, right. My days are running together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We still have more things to do here first. <laughs> but yeah, re- so we can point you to Reaper FM, reaper.fm, But you won't find a download for Linux there. But there sure. is, we can tell you because I'm recording this very podcast in it. There is a Linux version and uh, it meets my persnickety needs. I'm I'm pretty picky when it comes to this type of software and it's meeting my needs. We've recorded uh, three shows with it so far. Yeah, and this will be the fourth.
2: And for the listeners using Arch, uh, it's in the AUR. Yeah, of Don't course. Need to, uh, any links. You know, I'll be interested. Making a snap now.
0: Oh,
6: okay. <laughs> are you
1: really? Are you really?
6: Yeah. You know what else yeah. needs yeah. a snap of badly? Yeah, I, I can pick up on the clues. I've deciphered your clue.
1: <laughs> yeah, I found,
6: I found it right <laughs> on.
1: That is huge but here's for me. A, let me tell you something. If I, if you know, if I did, you know you can't just find it by Googling it. And I, I'm I'm a pretty proficient Googler and I know a lot of people in both the Linux world no. and the audio world. No. you know what? Not you, you
6: must suck at Googling because with your clues, I Googled it yeah, up once in you no know time it. at all. Yes, once you <laughs> know the name, but if you don't know
1: the name of the site, it's you're not going to find it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Okay. but...
6: I'm I'm not going to do the snapping, Popey, Are you listening carefully? Because the reason I'm not at Linux Fest Northwest this weekend is because I'm at Ubucon Europe this mm. weekend. I, I fly out. I fly out tomorrow. Um, so I'm away. Popey, however, he's got nothing better to do, so he can he can <laughs> work on snapping this uh. up.
0: Wow. Yes, boss. Yeah. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. And for extra credit, somebody ought to snap up, but the uh, broadcast using this tool, B-U-T-T, it doesn't work on modern versions of Ubuntu, but it's one of the only graphical tools for Linux to do a uh, live IceCast stream. Mm -hmm. And there's other ways to do it, like with dark ice and liquid soap and whatnot. You know,
1: there is another tool that I I, I just, I don't know why I didn't think of this when we were looking at this, but so stupid. Um, Mix. Has a option, I had that same thought? Has an option for mm-hmm. taking a local input, you specify an audio device, yeah. and it'll just boom, yep. it'll it'll seal it. I had that same thought. That's a lot of that's a lot of software. Yeah, it is. to and run for that. The other problem with Mix is it captures the audio device, so yes. that is the only yeah. thing that can use yeah. that particular. Audio so, device.
0: but is just a really old X app that just depends on a lot of old libraries. You got to load a whole bunch of stuff on your uh, Linux box, and then you got to build it from source, and it can be done, but then the results vary. But it's so nice because I'm on it. It's, oh man, man, I tell you what, we may be in a future where our, where our OBS is a snap, our broadcast software is a snap, and our editing software OBS is a snap. OBS is a snap. I know, I know. <laughs> we trust us. We know it's great. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's making me really excited about even another level of stability because then, you know, we can keep updating these operating systems and not worry about this stuff breaking. This right. is, like I'm saying, it's, we're standing on firmer ground than both Windows and Mac OS, I say. May, may I be so that. bold? Yeah. But uh, I think we are. So good, it's a good. The future is bright for production on Linux, and we're going to make an example out of that at Linux Fest Northwest. Hopefully, I think we Heck will. Heck yeah, I think we will. We're going to have it. We're people that can make
1: it out. We'll give you an example there at the
0: booth. How we're doing it on Linux.
1: I mean, the truth is, if I can if I can assemble even a haphazard setup while you're on the air without making too much noise, soldering on the back back end of a cast iron skillet. I think by the time we actually have some yeah. time where I'm not prepping a show with right hand and soldering with the left hand, I think we'll. I think it'll really be a cool display. Probably should work pretty good. I imagine. <laughs> uh, I, I, Wimby, will you be
0: sharing any uh, stories uh, from your trip in the Ubuntu podcast in the near future? Um,
6: I hope so. Me too. Um, uh, we haven't fleshed out everything that's happening the week that I'm back from that because obviously, it's following the 1804 release. There's mm. lot to talk about there, and nobody wants to hear about me gallivanting around Spain and having a great time and socializing with everyone in the Ubuntu community. So. Oh boy, no, we would uh, hate no. That. Who would
0: want to hear that? Who, hate it. Who would want that? Yeah, yeah, I know. We might do our 1804 review live for Linux Fest. I think that might be what happens. Looking forward to that. And uh, I don't know. We may try to record a Linux Unplugged from there. So keep an eye out for that. And then we'll release it at our regular time the following week. So that could be happening as well. It's all kind of up in the air, but those are the things we're aiming for. Uh, So if you want to join us on a Saturday, I would bet. Have you seen the timesheet? Is it – do we have LUP on the timesheet?
1: I don't know. I can tell you for sure that Asno will be live at 2. On Saturday. Yep. Maybe, oh, that's our time, you bastard. No. Uh, it's 2 p.m. Sa- it's 2 p.m. Uh, pos- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. It's Sorry. fine.
0: It's fine. You take my time. Maybe we'll just do it a different time. I'll take the Ask Noah time. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. I'll take it and I'll stink it up. There you I'll go. I'll fart in your time slot, dude. Uh, don't fart
1: in my time slot. <laughs> I have to live in that time slot the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, you can go catch more Noah at the Ask Noah show. Go get more Go get more do Noah. Do it. Be, they'll be coming up live uh, in just a little bit. Uh, you can get more Wes, uh, techsnap.systems. And uh, I'm on there too. And of course, uh, you can follow the whole network at Jupiter Signal. And you heard me mention that there Ubuntu podcast. You can go get the Ubuntu podcast. Go search YouTube. It's up on the YouTubes now, and you can watch it there. Ooh, Isn't that a fancy. development? We are living in the future now. Rumor has it that we got to clear out of here because Brown Bear is going to take over and do even more Linux Destroy coverage. everything. That's true. That's true. That's how. That's how it goes. Yep. That, <laughs> every day. <laughs> If you want to participate in that shenanigans live, head over to our neck of the woods. We start all around 1.30 Pacific on a Tuesday at jblive.tv. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com calendar to get that converted in your time zone. Now we got lots of the links, we got RSS feeds and additional podcasts, all that good stuff at linuxunplugged.com, and links for this episode at linuxunplugged.com slash 246. And we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Unplug. Unplug program. All right, it's post-show time. A little post-show. Who wants to get their post-show on? Raise <laughs> your hand. I thought you were out there soldering while we were in here doing a podcast. Who's, who needs to worry about show prep, right?
5: I, I, there, <laughs> there, are, there are wires that must be connected. They must be connected properly. Now you got a new toy. That's all you worried about. All right, so elementary OS, in my personal opinion, got right the fact that they have a toolkit for UI, which makes it consistent across the desktop. They've got it right on the using mostly one language for development, even though it's not required that the apps are like this. Now, my, my challenge is going to be, how about start integrating smart file system management, like music recognition, so it automatically sorts by genre, category, and like of your user. If you're interested, I can give you the research papers, I can give you pseudocode, I can give you an example project, and you would be essentially the first operating system in the world to have intelligent file system organization.
4: You, can you elaborate on what you mean like that? Are you just talking <laughs> like an API that uh, apps can no, tie no into? No, no API, or? it's
5: something that can run locally. The software is all open source. You can benefit from it. I'm willing to give you all of the source code about this. The first category that is already done, it's music. But what and does it mean? How
4: do you use it?
5: Well, it actually goes through your music collection and evaluates it and does general recognition of the music. And because you have the music players already on the system, You can actually track the amount, uh, you know, the quantity of times that was listened to, appreciation of music, and basically do organization based on it.
4: So this is like Zeitgeist, but it only does music?
5: No, this is not Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist just keeps track of, you know, history of usage, right? And tries to make those things accessible or preloaded. This is about making actual your music's files sorted. So the algorithms recognize genre recognize style and recognize music patterns of likings and all of these source code is open source so you can use it the idea is that you actually get it so that it sorts the music for your users so even if it's in just thrown up in the download folder you can actually categorize that music you can say give me all the rock and it will give you uh, a rock.
4: This is like Tracker. This is like your Benchy. file system's terrible Damn, mess. I've on this for years. Yeah. But the, the, the big problem with those kind of things is it's like it just leaves your file system this horrible mess. And then people end up touching it and it breaks and it's slow. And it's better to just like actually manage the files.
5: So hopefully. here is the part that I'm going to tell you. If you don't do it, Microsoft will do it first, and then they will have those users, that's all.
4: Didn't Microsoft just shut down their operating system department?
5: Yeah, because they're gonna use Linux.